And so that habit of always looking for other options to the words you're using is an intellectual skill mm -hmm. that writers have. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Pudua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. As we take a break from recording, we have chosen to replace several of our greatest hits for you to enjoy. We hope that you are able to gain insight for your educational journey. Okay, so Andrew, I thought it would be fun. Well, I don't know if it's fun for you, but it'll be fun for me to start out with a joke. You You're going to tell me a joke? Yeah, I'm going to tell you a joke. Good luck. You ready? All right. <laughs> How did the hipster burn his tongue? A hipster? Yeah, a hipster. Burn his tongue? Mm -hmm. I don't know. How? Because he sipped fair trade certified and organic coffee before it was cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I see. So he's a hipster. Well, he should have cream in it. That'll cool it well, down sufficiently. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I have a joke for you. Naturally. Yeah. Why did Star Wars 4, 5, and 6 come out before Star Wars 1, 2, and 3? Uh, poor plan. I don't know. In charge of release dates, Yoda was. <laughs> Naturally. Right. <laughs> so what we're going to be talking about today is the banned word controversy. Did you know that there was a controversy? Yes, I have seen some Facebook flare-ups on yeah. this and got sucked into them. Yes, yeah. yes. And what I find somewhat humorous about this is we've been talking about banned words for decades. Well, maybe not we individually as a company, sure. but certainly this goes way back to Dr. Webster. Oh, yes. And probably before. Yeah. 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 So this idea of using more expressive words and uh, banning words like said, and of course, that's how we teach students to use more interesting vocabulary by saying use a strong verb and therefore will ban the boring verbs like said mm -hmm. and run and go and went and same with the quality adjectives to get rid of the nice and the good and the bad and replacing them with more interesting quality adjectives well this article gabriel roth and this article he's actually citing the wall street journal article that we'll post in the show notes too. This is what he says. My fourth grade English teacher employed a list of words called DNUs for do not use. I love that he remembers his fourth grade English teacher. It was about a dozen words long and included get, nice, very, and thing. If he saw one in our papers, he would flag it and make a tutting sound, although he didn't always notice. The point, I assumed, was to make us think about the words we were using to elevate our writing above the leaden defaults of a nine-year-old's communicative needs, which I'm sure that's exactly what sure. this teacher was doing. Sure. And then he goes on to talk about and agrees with the Wall Street Journal article about the danger of teaching this idea and that that doesn't translate into real writing. So um, let me just read a couple of lines from that. English teachers, so this is from the Wall Street Journal, James R. Haggerty. English teachers were once satisfied if they could prevent their pupils from splitting infinitives, which we at IEW know that's no longer a thing, to use a banned word here. <laughs> now some also want to stop them from using words like good, bad, 
fun, and said. We call them dead words, says Leyland Shelton, a middle school teacher. And she actually wrote a book called Banished Boring Words, which when I look through this, I think of our book. It's words very Lightning. similar. Yeah, yeah, very similar. So then James Haggerty cites a father-daughter conversation where the father asked the daughter, why are you not allowed to use these words? And she says, to make your writing sound, I don't know, more sophisticated. And then Mr. Riley, her father, an architect, was skeptical. They're perfectly fine words, and they have their place, he proclaimed. Substitute for said, right? Yes, there's some irony <laughs> built in here. definitely some irony. I suppose the emphasis should be on using them correctly. Students who do their best to cope, one of Megan's schoolmates looking for a permissible way to say big, came up with anti-microscopic, which, you know, that's a little bit awkward. But I know you've, like you've mentioned, you've you've seen this. This has come across your desk. What What is your response to this banning banned words idea? Yeah, I, I can remember at least 12, maybe 13 years ago, there was an article in a, a national magazine mm. called The Right Stuff. Mm. And it was basically saying, you know, this method of teaching children to use more sophisticated vocabulary mm. is not good writing. Mm. Um, so it's not a new particular argument, mm-hmm. but there are a few things to think about here. Mm-hmm. The first one is this. People who write in news magazines and for newspapers and journals mm-hmm. generally are journalists. Of course. Sure. And journalists are trained in a particular way. Yes. They are writing for a particular audience. Right. And like most of us who tend to think that whatever we do is the most mm-hmm. important and best way to do something, mm-hmm. journalists tend to think that the way they write is the best and correct way that everyone should write. Right. However, there are a lot of other things that people do with words. Mm-hmm. Technical writers mm-hmm. write differently than journalists. They have a different audience, different mm-hmm. purpose, different vocabulary. Um, novelists follow certain conventions and sets of rules that mm-hmm. make them more successful as novelists. Children's book writers. Yes, absolutely. You know, if you weren't a person who knew a lot of good adjectives, how would you ever have written Alexander's No Good, Terrible, Awful, Horrible, Miserable, whatever it is, day, <laughs> right, right? Which right. is a charming book, yes. but it certainly isn't journalism. No. Right. So... The problem with journalism, as I see it, is that not, not a problem with the discipline per se, but mm-hmm. the problem with this attitude is that they are trying to write simple, clear. Right. They favor short sentences. Mm-hmm. They favor a vocabulary mm-hmm. that is um, dumbed down to some degree mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that the masses can read mm-hmm. the mass media. Right. That's who they are writing for. Right. And as the vocabulary of the average educated American continues to shrink, mm-hmm. so will the vocabulary of what the average educated American is willing to read. Mm-hmm. We won't mm-hmm. talk about the uneducated right. Americans, <laughs> but I think if we were to, say, take a copy of Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. LA Times, and compare that newspaper with its same version or a similar edition of 100 years ago... right. What do you think the vocabulary difference would be? Well, the writing of 100 years ago would be much more sophisticated. Sure, very, very different. Now, I'm not saying that, that old is better than new or new mm-hmm. is better than old. Mm-hmm. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Right. But one of the things I also notice about journalists is they're not necessarily teachers. They don't necessarily spend 
mm-hmm. all day nose to nose with 11 year olds. Right. Um, some of them may not even be parents. Mm. So their memory of being a child is all they have to connect with, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the man in the article. Mm-hmm. I remember my fourth grade teacher. Yes, right? yes. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But I have spent my whole life basically mm-hmm. nose to nose with children, mm-hmm. you know, preschool and elementary grades and middle and high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I'm always teaching kids. And so I look at it entirely differently. Mm-hmm. What's my purpose? What's my goal as a teacher of language to children? Mm-hmm. It isn't to take 11 year olds and make them into little journalists who can conform to the conventions of that particular discipline. Right. My goal is to build their linguistic marble. Mm -hmm. My goal is for them to fall in love with words. My goal is for them to expand, explode their active vocabulary, because then they'll have more linguistic marble from which someone down line can carve them into a journalist journalist or a technical writer or a novelist or... Um, a marketing person, right? <laughs> um, you, you know, it's not my job to figure out what they should be able to do 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My job is to get them to fall in love and play with the words. And play is a key idea here. Right. Maria Montessori noted and stated a truism that we cannot ignore. The work of a child mm-hmm. is to play. Mm-hmm. What do they naturally do? They sit down with stuff And they experiment with it. And you can see this with young children putting blocks or dupelos. Mm -hmm. You see this with middle-aged kids, you know, Minecraft. Kind Mm -hmm. of let's let's just take all the stuff we have and see how we can put it together and make new stuff. Mm -hmm. That's the essence of the activity of of play in many ways. Right. And so when we uh, use our tools, Mm -hmm. such as the band words list, Mm or the LY word lists on the wall, or the, the app we have now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the Word Right Now book that mm-hmm. we publish. Um, what are we doing? We're giving them the stuff to play with and then encouraging them to play with it by setting up some rules. You can't use you know these adjectives or these verbs. You have to look for substitutes, look for other words. Right. And that's a game. I would be the last person to say that you should grow up and for the rest of your life never use simple words. In right. fact, not too long ago, I have written paragraphs containing words like good mm-hmm. and bad and said mm-hmm. and even fun, mm-hmm. right? Um, because those happen to be the best words at the moment, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But what are we doing by making them, quote, you know, prohibited is we're forcing a skill mm-hmm. development through a game. Right. It's a game. Can't use the word said, got to go look for something else. Right. Then children learn how to use their references. They learn how to use tools like a thesaurus. Mm-hmm. Part of writing well is finding the perfect word at the perfect moment. Right. And so that habit of always looking for other options to the words you're using is an intellectual skill Mm -hmm. that writers have. And journalists have it too. Absolutely. But they've been carved into journalists. And so they do it in a particular way. Uh, So, you know, this idea that checklists or rubrics or rules 
um, are the thing that makes better writing in the end. Mm -hmm. This is not always true. Mm -hmm. It may improve a student's writing, but it may not. It's it's a little bit like running with weights, mm. right? Right. People don't run with weights so that they look more graceful and run faster around the track. Right. They run with weights so that when they take the weights off, mm -hmm. then they're more graceful and faster mm -hmm. and everything's easier. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. We're... Uh, playing these games, we're putting these rules and rubrics and, and guidelines into place so that the children build their linguistic muscle, mm -hmm. and then later we'll take it off right. and say, you don't have to obey these rules or this checklist or these rubrics. Do what you want to, and they will then be able to fly. And we've seen this, haven't we? Absolutely. The creativity and mm -hmm. the kids who grew up in, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. Yeah, they'll use awkward stuff. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. like you build something dumb with blocks and say, well, that didn't work. Knock <laughs> right. it over and do it again. <laughs> right. Um, but then when they go off into the workplace or the right. university as adults, we see the richness of mm -hmm. what they have acquired from our system, empowering them in that way. Yeah, we get reports all the time. In fact, just this week on our Facebook page, a mom reported that her daughter won a scholarship. She was actually one of the winners of our writing contest here at IEW, which we usually do a writing contest every March. Uh -huh. And she won, I'm sorry, I said a scholarship. What I meant is she won another writing contest at the national level. So mm -hmm. here we are sure. you know, getting these And those are, those are unbiased, Absolutely. completely third-party, impartial right. type of judging. Right. And of course, we've got how many stories of the kid who went off to the university and wrote the paper, and the professor said, where did you learn to do this? Mm -hmm. You know, Can I copy this and give it to all the students so they see an example of exactly. what I want here? Yep. I mean, we've heard that hundreds of times. Yep. So what we, what we want to remember then in reading these articles mm -hmm. that are critical mm -hmm. of this as a teaching methodology is to remember, number one, that journalists have their way of doing things, and we can respect that, right. but that's not necessarily the teaching method, right? Right. That, that it's what we're about is process mm -hmm. and growth, mm -hmm. not polished products from 12-year-olds. Right. You know, what you mentioned the word process, it makes me think about a couple articles that you've written that address this very thing. One was somewhat recently, process versus product. And I think about that. I think a nine-year-old is not going to write for the Wall Street Journal. We cannot expect a nine-year-old to have polished writing, but how are they going to get to that level of writing? By practicing, by using these words that maybe they wouldn't naturally use, but are now forced to because they're being stretched. Sure. The other article I think of is that you, one that you wrote many years ago called Good Writing Versus Great Teaching. Yes, and that was a rebuttal I wrote to a similar criticism that came out in this, this national mm -hmm. magazine that didn't name us by name, mm -hmm. but did use some examples from our seminar workbook and mm -hmm. kind of say, you know, this is redundant or this is unnecessary, or this is making someone sound like a Victorian schoolboy mm. uh, mm -hmm. and, and being critical. And, you know, I respect the author of it greatly. He's mm -hmm. a journalist. Right. And I was hoping he would publish my, my rebuttal mm -hmm. so that I could make the point that mm -hmm. what we're about is great teaching. Right. Process building the linguistic marble. Right. The, the other thing I'd like to address, if we have a couple more minutes, mm -hmm. is the kind of the 
tragedy, if you will, mm-hmm. of the shrinking vocabulary right. of of Americans. I mentioned that if you were to compare, you know, the newspaper of today with the newspaper mm-hmm. of a hundred years ago, right. why is that? Well, right. as our vocabulary shrinks, we have to shrink the way we communicate ideas mm-hmm. and use less sophisticated or right. less uncommon, but unfortunately, sometimes less specific words. Right. Uh, if you think about uh, writers like Dickens mm-hmm. and uh, Doyle, mm-hmm. uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, mm-hmm. what's interesting to note is that those novels were published as serials. Mm-hmm. So they would put the next chapter or something in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So everyone was reading this. Right. But honestly, do you think anyone would publish A Tale of Two Cities today? <laughs> no. no. It's 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 above ninety nine percent of the people mm-hmm. who would ever see it, right. their ability to read it and comprehend it and understand it. Right. But what are we losing here? I was reading um, a book with my my little class of kids here. Mm-hmm. Fantastic book, highly recommended to anyone. It's called Penrod, P E N R O D, by Booth Tarkington, who was mm-hmm. very popular in his day, about a hundred mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And I read just the first few pages of this book out loud to my little class of, mm-hmm. you know, preteens and, and young teenagers. And uh, when I finished, one of the girls, she's 12 years old, she said, wow, <laughs> what vocabulary. Right. <laughs> you know, and it, it was rich. It was deep. It was, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And yet there were a dozen words that I couldn't have defined right. easily on demand. Right. Uh, and so we would have to study those words in order to gain the richness. Right. But I always like to use, you know, the the kind of example, sad but true, that the words we can use are are limiting our thinking, or our thinking, mm. our formal thinking, our language based thinking is limited to the words we know. Right. So you get a child who writes a book report. This book was a very interesting book because all of the characters were very interesting and the plot was also very interesting and the characters had to solve many hard problems (laughs) which made it very interesting. Right. (laughs) And I'm sure you would really enjoy this very, very interesting book. Okay, maybe a little uh, exaggerated there. Mm -hmm. But why would a child write that? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, because they don't have any other words to they use. They don't have any other words. Whereas if you give them lists of words, right, right s- words that are similar to or substitutes for or related right. to the idea of interesting, right. well, then they can use those words, right. words like engaging, mm-hmm. captivating. Right. What's wrong with that? Right. What's wrong with that? So... Well, and, you know, you're talking about book reports, and, of course, for us, a Unit 9 would be the replacement of a book report. Right, And right. we provide in the seminar workbook... That critique uh, vocabulary. Vocabulary yeah. for the students to use. That, that's so powerful. So, in a way, you know, the words we know are very connected with the thoughts we can think. Hmm. And I would recommend also to our listeners, if you have not read George Orwell's 1984 hmm. recently... It's a very interesting <laughs> read, particularly in today's world, in many ways. But but one way that I found so fascinating, Orwell, in a very prescient manner, understood this relationship between language and thought. Right. And 
he he went into quite a bit of detail about how this totalitarian control everything government mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. actually trying to shrink the language oh dear intentionally wow. so each successive edition of the new speak dictionary needed to have fewer words right. than the previous one uh, because if you could have plus good you wouldn't need excellence mm. if you could have double plus ungood you would eliminate evil and the goal of this totalitarian government control was to shrink the vocabulary to the point where thought crime would be impossible. Wow. And to read that book, 1984, through the perspective of vocabulary development and thinking and the stuff mm-hmm. we talk about so much, right. very, very interesting. Of course, you know, it's a broken book. It, right. it does not have a happy ending. So, no. you know, if you're... If you don't like things like that, you might not read it. Right. Of course, you know, I don't mind. So basically what we're doing with our banned words lists and what these authors are critical of is expanding vocabulary. Well, I wouldn't blame those people mm-hmm. for saying, you know, you're trying to oppose our efforts to dumb down mm-hmm. American people. Right. I, I, that There's no malicious intent here. Sure. sure. But there is, I think this trend that's going mm-hmm. and maybe we want to look at that mm-hmm. a little differently mm-hmm. and i'm happy to engage in the conversation and i'm happy mm-hmm. to see people chiming in yes. on both sides of this debate right um but i would you know hope that that our listeners can understand that there is a distinction there between mm-hmm. what journalists think is good writing mm-hmm and qualifying it because not everybody thinks like journalists, mm-hmm. right? And then what is good teaching right. and what are our goals in working with, you know, elementary and middle and even high school children right. who are right. really still very happy to play with things in order to grow that uh, linguistic muscle. And we will continue to be preaching this message for as long as we're able. Yes, because this will come around in a couple more years mm-hmm, and some mm-hmm. new journalist will pop up and say, how dare you not let children use the word said because <laughs> what I learned in school, right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, let's uh, continue this journey together. Sure. All right. So we started with a joke. Can we end with a joke? Yes. In fact, I have a vocabulary joke. Perfect. You need a little bit of history okay. to get this joke, but I'm, I'm sure you're okay with it. You've heard of Gandhi, Mohandas Gandhi. Of course. Mahatma Gandhi. Churchill didn't think much of him, but mm. he was a fascinating man in many ways. Mm. One is that he was a very humble person, mm. and although he became a world leader, he actually walked around barefoot most mm. of the time. Mm. And of course, if you walk around barefoot, you're, you know, your feet get tough over right. time, unlike my feet that are not tough. <laughs> he um, was a kind of thought to be almost like a holy man. He also did uh, quite a bit of fasting mm. as a discipline, which not only would cause you know people to be a bit frail and weak from time to time mm-hmm. during this fasting, it also does that detox thing where you get bad breath. Okay. Right. <laughs> you're, you're aware of that? Yes. <laughs> so although you could say that Gandhi was you know, a great man, you could also say that he was a supercalifragile mystic hexed with halitosis. <laughs> okay, can you super calloused, Thank you. fragile mystic hexed with halitosis. Perfect. And of course, kids today probably haven't even seen Mary Poppins, so they might not <laughs> even know that. It's 
It's a joke that will die with the generation. <laughs> I doubt it. Mary Poppins is with us forever. Yeah. We'll talk to you then. All right. Thanks so much for joining us for one of our favorite episodes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or you can visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. New recordings will begin airing in January of 2020. Until then, we hope you'll join us each week as we revisit our greatest hits. Mm-hmm.